Well, good morning. Have you ever been so joyous that you literally were like, almost couldn't explain yourself to someone else? Like you came up to them and you're, you're kind of trying to explain things and, and it's not coming out like it should and, and you realize that you have just completely been taken up in the moment. Um, as we look at this passage today, Psalm 126, we recognize that this is one of the Song of Ascents, and this is a song that they would be singing as they approach Jerusalem and as they uh, are going to worship the Lord and be in His presence. We see their joy, and uh, this psalm has a particular um, kind of a theme to it that has to do with restoration. Restoration, And so as we see that today, hopefully that will come out as, as we look at the, the joy that allows us to really know the Lord and to be His people as we uh, express what it means to be someone who belongs to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, it says this. It says, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So here's a command in, Deut in Deuteronomy that basically sets up this song, these songs of ascent, because they were to go up to the house of the Lord. How many times a year? At least three, at least three. And they were not to, to go empty-handed as well. And as we recognize this one here, most likely this is, the, this is the one of tabernacles of booths, the Feast of Booths, as they are approaching. And they're remembering in, in thanksgiving what the Lord has done for them. And so in Psalm 126, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them, and we, we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. As we read, we recognize there is a harvest, this idea of a harvest, and, and that is the, kind of the, the tabernacle or the, the festival of booths, and there's a, there's a theme that goes along with that. As we look at what does Psalm 126 have to do with us today? And you think, that old book, that old book is just so, uh, and, and this is my thought when I was growing up. I, I actually had thought, Man, that book is so old. And I was in high school. I didn't know the Lord. So just saying that ahead of time. And I had no understanding of just the riches of his book. And, and, uh, and just especially the Old Testament, I would look at it and go, what is, how do I make sense of this? And, and does this even have any relevance to me today? Well, as we see in Psalm 126 today and all of these songs of ascent, we see some truths that are revealed maybe in the New Testament clear, but are there just sitting there uh, and kind of ripe for our picking. It says this, that when they were imagining as they were coming up, coming up this, the, coming into Jerusalem and as they were looking at this, this place that God had told them to come at least three times per year, but at this particular time during tabernacles to bring something with them, they were looking at, at this Zion or Jerusalem in a way that they were remembering 
what was going on. And at the time that this was written, there, the return of the, the, uh, from Babylonian captivity was still occurring. And we'll see that in verse 4 as we look through this further. And we realize that some of the ones who, some of the, the people who went into captivity kind of got comfortable in their captivity. They, they were actually kind of okay with it. Okay, this is better than fighting the stream and trying to go back and, and be the people who had to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and do all this hard work and turn this soil back into producing something. And you could see that there was a lot of work with that. And, it, and I, I think about that and I think to myself, so there are people who are comfortable right where they are spiritually right now. They'd rather sit in Babylon in captivity than they would... Get to become free and to actually kind of s to serve the Lord and to have a relationship with him. And you can see very clearly as the psalmist uh, is writing that there is something that is so glorious about being free and about returning to this city. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, and then what that means is as they're coming back, that he can, they, they're reflecting on, in the Hebrew language, they're reflecting on what, what the Lord has done before, but also because of Hebrew and the tenses of things, it also looks forward. So some of this is prophetic, and I'm sorry if you guys don't like prophecy, but it's here and it's just that's the way it is, because it's speaking of now, but it's also speaking of the future. And we can see, see that ourselves in our lives. When we look at a challenge that we're facing today, what do we look at in our previous lives what the Lord has done, right? And you're like, okay, I can face this because before we didn't have rent, we didn't have this, we didn't, and because now I'm facing this thing in, in the future, and because of his faithfulness in the past, it allows me to move forward. That's where these people were. They were rebuilding, and they were going back to this place that they had so fondly re re been remembered. And maybe you can remember your high school days, and maybe some of the, the better of your high school days. Um, and you go back to your hometown, and you have such fond memories of that because there's relationships and fun things that you did, and, and, you're, and you enjoy doing that. Maybe it's at a reunion or whatever. But sometimes you come back, and it's a little smaller than you remembered it was before, or it's a little different. Maybe it's maybe a little more more run down and you recognize to yourself, wow, things have changed. They came back to Jerusalem and, and was Jerusalem uh, white picket fences and cleanly mowed lawns? No, it had been destroyed. It was a complete rebuilding process. And so as they are in the middle of this, they see this. And so they're actually not necessarily just looking at what they see, but they're looking forward to what will be. And that's as the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dreamed. Dreamed in what way? It means that they were thinking forward to something that is, God is going to do, not necessarily what just was in front of them. And so uh, we recognize that, that they had been there for 50 years. If you left your farm, I, we went, our, our farmhouse has been probably vacant for 25 years. Um, and if you go there, you, you, you probably would want to just keep the door open if you were daring enough to go inside there uh, because you don't know what's going to come running out of there once you go in there. And you just recognize that things wear down over time. This is where they were. Acts 12.9 says this about dreams. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And there's this idea that, that they had done, that God was doing such an amazing thing because he had brought them back out of captivity when there was no reason for that to happen. Does anyone remember how they got back out of captivity? 
What allowed them to be free? Here, God just sprung the door open for Peter. What did God do for the nation of Israel coming out of Babylon? What was it that allowed the key or the door to open? What amazing thing. I think I heard someone say it. Ah, Cyrus, Cyrus can be shared with young adults beside you as well. <laughs> Cyrus. The most unlikely thing happened. A Persian king took over the Babylonians in 538 BC, and what happens? He says, you know what? You guys can go home. And not only did he, go, did he say you guys can go, but he actually made provisions for them to go. A heathen king that has no knowledge of God does that. How does that occur? Well, how does Peter get out of a prison? And just the jail cell spring open, and he's like, is this a dream? Like, wow, how could this happen? That's where they were. Is this a dream? Are we really getting to go back? Are we really free? If you've ever been held in captivity, and I'm not saying you raise your hand if you've ever been in jail, or maybe, maybe you thought school was captivity, so you've all been in school before, and you're just waiting for 3.30 to come around. But when that door opens, there's a sense of joy. That's where they were in this Psalm 126. Luke 24 says, But then they did not believe the women because the words seemed, seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Who moved that huge stone? Who removed the Praetorian guard? How did this happen? How did the king, a heathen king, not only say you can go, but here's how it's going to happen, and I'm just going to pave the way for you. God did an amazing thing, and they knew it, and that's why this psalm is the way it is. It's a song of joy of what the Lord did. It says, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with, with songs of joy. That it, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Amazing things happen. And not just did Jerusalem know it, but what does this last verse say? Among the nations. Who are they? They're the surrounding nations who saw what God was doing with his people. And almost when you, when you see Jericho and, and the, the fear that, that struck through the people of Jericho because they knew God's people were on a march. And they were not so much fearful of God's people, but the fact that there was a God in Israel that was returning. And, and they knew that there was, going to be, there was going to be this powerful force. And so the heathen even took notice to what God was doing. An amazing thing. I have a special kindred to the year of 1967, and Pastor Try mentioned this recently, but this is what it says in Luke 21, 24. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that has everything to do with what happened when Titus rolled through and, and the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem lost their place of worship and, and in lots of ways has, has kind of been kind of without a home until the time in 1967. About 1940 years after Jesus prophesied that, in 1967, here's what, what happened. Jerusalem was basically surrounded by their enemies. This is a very short summary of what happened. They were surrounded by enemies that had firepower of between four and ten times their firepower. Their air force was one-fourth of one of, their, one of the air forces. They were actually, they were all saying to themselves, hey, it was good serving with you. 
they thought they were going to go back into captivity, that they were going to lose their independence as their surrounding nations, especially Syria, was putting pressure on them. And they were, the war was impending, and Jerusalem drew, they, they, they struck first, and they were able to take out an air force of four times the magnitude of their air force, which gained them some ground. And at the end of this six-day war in 1967, Israel had come out on top. Now, the important thing about that is this, the newspapers wrote that there had to be help from heaven for them to do that. And what you recognize is that there is a heathen people among the nations who recognize that only God could do such things like this. Only God could put in the heart of, of Cyrus to release them. Only God could put into the, to the mix of this, this war that Israel would, would actually fulfill the prophecy that Jesus uh, prophesied 1,940 years ahead of time. The Jews, as they marched up to this hill, were rejoicing in the fact that their God was so faithful and had done so many good things for them in the past that they were uh, worshiping him that way. And then it says, not just the nations, not just those people who don't know you, but the Lord has done great things for us, and we, we ourselves, are filled with joy. I want you to think of the most joyous day in your life. Think back, think back. It was prom weekend, that's joyous. For Trey and Aaron, yesterday they got married, that's joyous. There are times when your baby is born and that's joyous, or maybe when you graduated, or, or when, maybe when you drove out of your parents' yard at 18 thinking you knew everything, and you thought, I am free. <laughs> and then you had to pay your first rent, and, and some of that joy kind of maybe went away, possibly. Verse 4, they pray for the return. Not just the, uh, presently, but they left family at home. Have you ever left family at home and prayed that they would come to be with you or that you could be reunited? And the, the family who was at home didn't necessarily want to come out of captivity. They kind of had become comfortable where they were. Uh, and sometimes that's the way it is. is you get a, that job, I'm just going to put in my next seven years and get, or whatever it is. And there's a comfortableness, a comfortableness with that. Think of that in a spiritual realm right now. Who do you know that's comfortable right where they are even though they are in captivity. They're captive to sin. They're captive to Satan. They're captain, captive to their lifestyle. They're, they're away from God. They may be in your very family. You may be raised by, you were raised with them by the same parents. Many of you have that situation. And if you don't, I would just say, you need to thank God for that because he has done a great work in your family to have that salvation come through and realizing that this is talking about spiritual things as well as physical things. They were praying. It says, restore our fortunes, Lord. They had been gone for 50 years. They had nothing. They just brought their suitcase along, plopped it down in Jerusalem and like, okay, here we are. And they're, re they're remembering how God was faithful to them. Like streams in the Negev, which was a dry land in which would produce nothing unless the, what would happen, the rains would come in on, on years that it was wet and everything would just grow. And it would, just, it, would, it would literally just explode with fruitfulness. And so they were praying for that same sort of fruitfulness to, to happen to their, their city and to rebuild them. And so as they come back and face these difficulties, they do the right thing, which is they pray. And when we face difficulties here and now, what do we do? Right there. 
2 Chronicles 7.14. If you haven't read this one while you're sitting in church and you're bored because the guy's talking too long, I suggest you just take some time to read this, okay? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and do what? And they pray and seek to my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And boy, if we need healing at any point in time, it's, it's right now. And so you recognize the Negev is right here. It's right here. This is exactly where we are in Psalm 126 in this year of 2020. It's right here. It's very, very important to recognize what God is doing and what he wants to do. And so we not only just look at our own situation right now, because that's all we can see, but we also look forward to what God wants to do as God is working on his plan and he wants to use us as his people in that way. Verse 5. Those, pretty, pretty familiar verse, probably from some of you. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Praying saints sow in prayer. They sow with their prayer. Now, sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray, and what happens? Ah, have you ever, and maybe in school, they had those projects where you have the little cup and the soil, and you put a seed in the cup, Right? And with kids, especially, every day, day two, they planted it yesterday. What do they do? They go there and they do what? They go, is anything growing yet? And But by day four or five, they're like, not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. Prayer is the sowing of seeds for the future. Not always do we see this boundless, bounding fruit the second day. Your grandparents... And you, your grandparents are praying, had prayed seeds for you, and you are praying seeds for your grandkids. And you think, does it really matter? Oh, you read Revelations, and you see the prayers of the saints, and you just read about that a little bit, you realize there's nothing wasted with prayer. In fact, it's one of the most valuable things you can do. Like, I have no spiritual gifts at all. I'd say, well, first of all, I'd argue with you, but that would probably take you out of this. The next thing that I want to tell you, which is what? You have the spiritual gift of prayer by default. So if you can't think of your spiritual gift, I will give you one because it's biblical. We're all to pray and pray unceasingly. And so we are sowing those things ahead of time. Years ago, a young minister visited Dundee, Scotland, deeply concerned that his ministry was producing such meager results. He decided to visit the scene where years before Robert Murray McShane had, re- had uh, ministered in such evident power of the Spirit of God that he wanted to have the same results. McShane died at the age of 30, but not before God used him to turn Scotland upside down. The visitor asked the old sexton at St. Peter's if he could tell him the secret of the amazing influence of Robert McShane. So he's asking, hey, old guy, you've been around here a long time. Can you tell me the secret of how this minister, this, this man who ministered and only lived to be 30 years old, but turned, turned it upside down? What's the secret? The old man led the young minister into his vestry. Sit down there, he said. Now, your, your elbows, they need to be on the table. And so he did so. Yes, that was the way McShane used to do it, said the old man. Now put your face, put your face in your hands. Put your face in your hands. The visitor obeyed. Now let the tears flow. That was the way McShane used to do it, said the sexton. That's the way 
we sow seeds. So when we sow in prayer, what happens is we don't see the fruit right away. We're like that kid in junior high thinking it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce fruit. And the truth is, is it may not even be in your limited lifetime. It probably will be, but it may not be. We sow those seeds with tears and with great agony a lot of times because we care so much about God's kingdom and the people who are in it. And usually we're praying for those people who are maybe still stuck in Babylon. Who's still stuck in Babylon in your family? And your circle of friends, we call the oikos. The people who God has just put in your, your circle that you care about, that, that don't know Jesus. And there's always a before Jesus, because you're never born as a Christian. And so there are people who are born into a family who don't know anything maybe about Jesus, never maybe went to church. And, and then you realize some people have this, God just just sweeps them out, and then our job is to what? To pray for those who don't know Jesus, because they come to an understanding that we, we did as well, and it isn't for us to be kept, it's to pass it forward, that relationship that we have with the Lord. The last one, the last verse. It's very similar, but it's different. And I think if we understand that, then, then it gives us better meaning because we think the Bible repeats itself and it does at times. But that's just the way our interpretation is. It says, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now there's this thing called seed. That was different. And there's also something called sheaves. What's going on here? I have one piece of ammunition left. What's going on here? What's different? So verse 5 is about praying, and our prayer life is so important. And whether you're praying for those stuck in Babylon or praying for God to, to restore our Jerusalem, our lives, our spiritual lives right now, verse 6 is talking about something more than that. What is it? Ah, who said it? Sharing. Way back in the back. Oh, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> What's that? He's going to throw it? Okay. Everybody over there? Oh, he's going to walk it to him. Thank you. Thank you. And he's visiting from out of town. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Sharing. So those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. And you get the picture of the farmer. And you can see Jesus just talking about the farmer. And you see the seed, and the seed goes out, and it lands where? On different soils. And those soils, some of them are just really hard, and some of them are entangled with weeds. But then some of them are kind of ripe. And you think to yourself, why doesn't the farmer just throw it on the, why doesn't he just throw it on the, the, good, the good soil? Why? Ah, you don't always, I wish I had another Snickers. <laughs> you don't always know where that is. It's the person who has their arms crossed when you talk about Jesus. You don't know. It's the person who may not act like they're listening 
or even maybe someone who's a little bit antagonistic, that the spirit is stirring. It's apathy that is the opposite of spiritual interest. So sometimes we go, oh, wow, that person's not interested at all. When in actuality, they are. Will we turn with songs of joy carrying sheaths? What are the sheaths? What are sheaths? We're in a different society. If I asked, what is a, what is a Wi-Fi? You'd know that, what that is. Or what is, a, what is an iPhone 11? you go, I know what that is. It's got a great camera system on it. But what's a sheave? It's a bundle of grain. Ah, it's a bundle of grain, isn't it? And it's all wrapped up, and it's what the harvest of it is. And so you realize that he will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And we don't know, and we're not in control of, who is receptive. We don't get to decide that, and that is not my job. My job is not for, to, to, to make those people my oikos like Jesus or certainly love Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But my job is what? That one doesn't work very well. I like the screen better for that, okay? Is to plant the seeds. It's to throw the seed. And where do we get seed? From the Word of God. From the word of God. It's very important we recognize that because we can be very unfruitful thinking to ourselves, man, I just got to get this person to believe. Ah, yeah, that's not going to happen. And it's going to limit you from casting God's seed and doing what he wants you to do because it, it's not about the results. It's about the sowing. That's, that's just our job. Let me sh share with you a, a story about a um, a woman, and she's a young female student who undertook the, and, and read the, this book. And uh, as I do that, I'm just going to flip that up there as some of the applications that I kind of just thought maybe you could think over as I'm sharing this. This young woman uh, read a book, and she came to her professor and declared that it was the worst book she had ever read and was thoroughly bored by it. A few days later, she met a young man and continued to develop a friendship with him. This friendship eventually led to the love, and soon they were engaged. And one evening, they were sitting in, in her lounge, and she, she said to him, Isn't it strange? I have, I have a book in my library whose author shares your surname and initials. <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> yeah, the plot thickens. <laughs> His answer was, well, that's not really that strange because I am that author. That night, she picked up the book again, and she read it with new energy. The following day, she went back to her professor and asked why it was that now she, she not only enjoyed it more than any, any other book, but couldn't put it down. The professor simply smiled at her and said, you know the author, dear. You know the author. The seed that we sow comes from the word. And our relationship with the Lord determines what we glean from that word. And you know that if you've been a Christian for many years. You realize that you read the same passage and you're like, oh, Eureka, I, 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 I get this. And the seed becomes such an important part of our lives that we not only need it for ourselves, and it's the very book that we can't put down and we, we cherish so much, but that we naturally just share with others as we're going about our business. And we find joy from that. And when people see us with joy, they respond in the same way that 
Other nations responded when they saw what happened in 1967, just realized it, realizing, wow, God is doing something very special in this person because of the joy and because of their proclaimed understanding of this person named Jesus, they're different. Charles Spurgeon was emphasizing to his class the importance of making one's facial expressions harmonize with one's speech, which is important because we just call that nonverbal language, but whatever. He says, when you speak of heaven, he said, let your face light up. When you speak of Jesus, let your face light up. When you speak of what God's done for you, let your face light up. Let it be radiated with heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. But when you speak of hell, well, then your ordinary face will do. <laughs> I'd leave that with you. As you speak about your relationship with Jesus this next week, think about what the psalmist in 126 thought about as they approached that hill and realized that God had restored them from a place where they did not have a relationship with him and they were in captivity to a place where they were free. And you, if you were in Christ right now, are free. You are free indeed. And if you have never given your life to Christ, and I appreciate it so much with what Chad said, that if this is your, maybe it's your seventh time coming to the church or 42nd time. I went to church for 19 years, 52 times. You do the math. I don't know. It's a lot. I never knew Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you, come and talk to me or one of, one of the people around here to say, hey, you know what? Tell me more about Jesus. I'd love to explain to you. You, you need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to repent. That's what, these, that's what these Israelites were doing. God, we have messed it up. That's why we ended up in Babylon in the first place. They were repentant. And they believed what God was going to do. And so we believe that Jesus dies for our sins. And we trust completely in that. And not in what we can do, not the good things, not the, our church attendance or anything else, but what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. We need to believe that. And we need to choose to follow him and commit our lives to him. And when we do that, Jesus assures us that we will have a relationship, not just here, but also in eternity. And that should make us smile this week. Not, not with our ordinary faces, but with the faces that we think of when we think of how heaven is going to be and when we are going to be with the Lord, with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 126. Thank you for your restoration. Each one of us, Lord, never let us become tired of the truth that we were captive to, your, to sin. We were captive to the world. We were captive and we were outside of a relationship with you. Help us to always stay close to the fact that the relationship that we have with you is a blessing that is above everything else that we have. And thank you so much for your amazing, amazing work in our lives. Lord, help us to, to remember you and give you thanks, and also help us to become the prayer warriors that you want us to be, that we would sit with our hands, our face in our hands, and that we would weep for others. We would weep for your kingdom, that we would want your kingdom to come that more and more people will come to know you. And also in verse 6, Lord, we just appreciate the fact that at some point in time, all of the sowing, the prayers, and the, the sharing of the seed, the sharing of your word would come to fruition, that others would come to know you through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our words, not our efforts, not even us thinking who's going to receive it, that we would just faithfully share it, share it with love 
and with good deeds, that people would understand who we are, who we belong to, and who we have a relationship, that we know the author. And because of that, everything else has changed. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.